welcome to the FC Podcast. My name is Stuart Taylor, and in this episode, I catch up with my brother, Peter Taylor. I need to give you a bit of background on this interview, because when it starts, we just get into it. On a recent trip to Brisbane, I stayed at my brother's house, and on the Sunday morning, we started chatting about the types of things that brothers talk about. My brother is an electrician by trade. He works with very high voltage electricity. The type of electricity that keeps cities powered. The type of electricity that when something goes wrong, it really, really goes wrong. He is also an obsessive reader and will read anything from politics, religion, fantasy, science, science fiction and Japanese anime. His thirst for knowledge makes him a very interesting person to talk to. During our conversation, we started talking about leadership, mentoring, and developing talent. I spoke about creativity and setting a narrative. Peter said that creativity can be discovered through hard work. And then he told me a story about coming to terms with failure. You'll hear this story a bit later. As he told me this story, I thought it would make a great episode on the FC podcast. So I grabbed my recording equipment from my bag and I started recording. As I pressed record, my brother looked puzzled about what was going on. This episode picks up on the moment my brother realises he is my next podcast guest. So here is my chat with Peter Taylor, one of the smartest people I've ever met. So that's put me on the spot. I'm, I feel like I've already <laughs> told the story. <laughs> so you should the remember horse, it. The horse has vaulted. <laughs> yeah. But this comes down to the narrative thing you're talking about. Now it's like, now you're forcing that narrative onto me. And Is telling it me, <laughs> tell me where to start the story that just came out organically. Someone once, someone wise once told me that creativity can be just hard work. Really? Yeah. <laughs> 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 Guy's full of it. <laughs> I think I, what was his name again? It'll come to me. So I guess what, what we're talking about, and I was trying to work out what theme that this relates to, but it's one of my biggest passions in life is mentorship, is that we, we have to be able to, every person needs somebody that they can look to for guidance in their life, whether it be their job, their, their, their home life, or pursuing uh, their future dream. Everyone needs a mentor. Yeah, but you also need to have, before you can have that mental relationship, you need to have a space where the other person is receptive to them and it'll give them the space to, you know, you can't give instruction to somebody who's just clammed up or somebody who is antagonistic to you because you've probably developed that antagonism yourself. So you need to have that, for want of a better word, that working relationship. And that's not just on the job site. In all fields, um, all aspects of life. So one, one of the simple truths I think you find with anyone is that everybody wants to be seen, wants to be recognized. They want to feel like they're the protagonist in their own story. So you need to accept your role as that, yeah, you're a part player in that kid's life. You know, you might be an important thing, but if you don't validate them for who they are, then how do you do that mentorship? What's the point, that point in um, trying to give them any education or instruction when there's a wall in between you. Mm. Sometimes you've got to work around that wall. Sometimes you've got to knock that wall down. But until you have that, uh, was it David Carnegie wrote the book, um, How to Make Friends and Influence People? How to Win Friends and Influence People, yep. Yeah. So in that, he said, he talks about 
no matter who the person is, everybody's got their story to tell. Everybody's got something that they can teach you. The best way to engage a person, try and fake an interest in them. <laughs> if you do that long enough, you'll start hearing stuff that you wouldn't have heard and it'll get to the point. It's like all of a sudden you're not faking that interest in people. Hmm, that's you, really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Too soon? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, if you, if you keep your mouth shut long enough, then you're going to hear what this person, and then you'll start, that's a validation that I think that every person responds to that. I love that concept that to be a mentor, and whether you use the word mentor or not, but, and I think that's what you were saying, you need to understand who the lead character is. And if you're the mentor, the lead character is actually the person you're mentoring, isn't it? Yeah. So if you're looking at a play, your character as the mentor is probably only in act one. Hmm. You know, you pass that on, they take the grasshopper out of their hand and then your role in, is done. Act two and three is about them. Yeah. You probably won't even show up if in the old Kung Fu trope, it's probably because you got murdered in the first act. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, but they always flash back and remember your uh, your wise words. Yeah, hopefully fondly, and that's yeah. if you know they've lived long enough themselves for an act two or act three. So to be an effective mentor, you need to remove some of that arrogance of thinking it's all about you and you're a great mentor, and it's more about uh, that person's experience and helping them get through from one mindset to the next or to be able to negotiate and manage their lives in a different way or let them see it from a different angle. But there's also a thing that's empowering, giving them, it's, and it's a nebulous, a difficult thing to sort of put your finger on there, but at some point you've got to be able to teach someone how to teach themselves. Let them understand their own capacity to take on certain problems in their own time because, you know, like electricity can be a difficult thing to work with, pretty dangerous thing, but at some point, those apprentices, and it's going to happen right at the end of their apprenticeship where they've had guidance for four years. And then from one day to the next day, they're on their own. And, and it's a, a difficult and a dangerous thing to be working with. And if you don't show it the right respect and have confidence in your own ability, you know, you're literally putting your life and other people's life in danger. It doesn't matter. If you've, if you've got your electrical license, you might have been an apprentice one day and you go for a job that next day. They don't care. You've got that license. You have to go out there and do this stuff by yourself. You've got to solve these problems. No matter how long you're doing stuff like, you know, especially the way technology changes, that ability to go up to a piece of machinery that you've never seen in your life, you don't know how it works, but you know it's broken mm. and your job is to make that thing work again. And often there can be people standing around who are getting paid to operate that machine, but now all that responsibility is on you. You need to be able to assess it as quickly as you can, understand what this machine is supposed to do, how it does that, and now why it isn't doing that, mm -hmm. and then put all that together and solve that problem or that malfunction. So I want to talk about failure, and I think you had a good example of this. One of the things I, I see, particularly in young people developing, they can't manage failure very well in, in the, the sense they're like a, a record that's got a scratch in it. They get stuck on that, and they can't let it go. I watched Apple TV, Ted Lasso, he's a coach, American coach who goes, coaches English Premier League football. And he uses this term to a player who makes a mistake. He says, I want you to be like a goldfish. Goldfish has a memory of three seconds. Okay. Be like a goldfish. The inability for, for young people to recognize, firstly, that a mistake is a mistake and then to move on past it is something that I think is hard to mentor or to teach around. 
what's your experience with that? And you, you talked about a, an example that you had in relation to a young apprentice. There was a young fella, and he was a, he was a clue young fella, didn't really stand out in the construction sites and that because he was, he was a quiet young guy and a little bit timid. But he was a hard worker and he was an intelligent fella. But he, his issue was I'd put him into a room and got him to mark out all the lights that had to go up in the ceiling and then told him, you know, these lights have to be cut out at 110 diameter. So he went through and he cut out all these lights. And my, my first sort of like realisation that something has gone wrong was to walk past his room and look in and this young fella's literally crouched over a bench and he's banging his head on the table. And I just walked in, I'm like, Nick, what, what the hell's going on here? What, what's happened? And he's explained to me, look, I've cut all these lights out at 150, not at 110 millimetres. And that's a lot of holes in a ceiling and we don't have the lights to put it in there. So I've had a thought about it and I said, okay, mate, just leave it at this. If you go over here, there's another job. I want you to go over here and start on this one here. There was, you know, no um, anger on my part towards him. But my realization at that point was that there's two things we can do here to fix this problem. One is I can approach the builder and ask him to repatch the whole ceiling. That ain't going to go well. So just to be clear, he drilled holes in the ceiling. Yeah. And they were effectively 10 mil too big for the so actual 40 light. 40 mil too big. So the light just went through. It wouldn't, yeah. it wouldn't fit in. It, it would go straight through. Another alternative there would be to go to the wholesalers and say, hey, can I get this same style of light, but in a bigger size? Now, they were two solutions that came to me straight away, but neither one of those solutions was something that a second-year apprentice could do. He can't go approach the builder. He can't go approach the wholesaler. The solution to that problem was for me to do. At that point there, there's no point him hanging around. He'd be more productive to go and do something else. You know, within 10 minutes, I'd gotten the solution. I rang up the wholesaler and gotten a new style of light that was ordered that would fit these holes, which was a simple solution. I could send the old ones back. It didn't cost any more money. It didn't cost that much in time. You know, an hour or so later, I walked past the same room. This young fella's like in there and he's staring at the ceiling, the grief all over his face, and he's just sitting there mumbling. I'm not walking. So, mate, what are you doing? And he goes, oh, I just can't believe I've done this. You know, I've just messed up so bad. And that was the one point that, you know, it's, you need to keep calm, you know, when you're dealing with someone that you're trying to instruct. But there's some points as well where you've just got to like really hammer home this, this lesson. And my issue was that not the fact that he'd made a mistake, not the fact that it had taken up my time, although I'd had to go and correct that, that's, that's part of my job. My issue was that now you're wasting time. Now you're wasting energy revisiting a mistake you made. I said, look, if you ever listen to one thing that I ever say, listen to this. The man who never made a mistake never made anything. I didn't get angry with you when you made that mistake. But the fact that you've come back in here to revisit and beat yourself up for that mistake, that just to let you know, it's already resolved. It's not an issue anymore. It's fixed. That was my job to fix that. Your job was to move on. And then, you know, later on, I could tell you how this is how we resolve this problem. And next time, measure twice, cut once. You know, if you had just tried one of those lights out, you would have seen on that first one that it didn't fit. It wasn't going to work. But in saying that, I wouldn't have done that. If I'd, I would have just kept going. So like I've never cut a light in the wrong place or made it the wrong size. But what you're doing now isn't helping you and it's not helping me and it's not helping any of us get this job across the line. All you're doing is beating yourself up. And now 
you're just going to carry that anxiety with you now when you approach your next job, which is going to make you more likely to make another mistake. Even if you look at it from whether it be sport or in pursuing any sort of dream that you have, mistakes are inevitable. They're almost encouraged. You need to make mistakes to, to learn and to push yourself beyond that, that comfort zone. Because if you, like you said, a person who's never made a mistake, never made anything. And, yeah. and that, that's true in life. It's true in sport. It's true in, in your career. You have to be willing to make mistakes and accept that they come but get past them very quickly. But take the time to have a look at, reassess what you did, how you made that mistake. If it's a serious enough mistake, chances are you will never make that mistake again Mm. because you won't forget that because you've learned one of the more difficult or the harshest way to learn something is by the negative consequences and doing it wrong. Someone can tell you, don't put your hand on that stove. You can be told that all your life, you know, as a kid, stay away from the stove. All of that instruction will never be as effective as touching that stove. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the FC Podcast. I had a great time chatting to Peter and I hope to have him back as a regular contributor, but this time I'll give him a bit more notice. My name is Stuart Taylor and this is the FC Podcast. Now go and change the world. Someone has to. Why not you?